Um, we're on chapter 7, page 92-ish, although we will be flipping around. So to give a recap of what's been going on here in our, in, in our Tanya journey, we started off explaining that everybody has not only two inclinations, not just two drives, external drives, right? Should I do right? Should I do wrong? How am I going to behave? But we're faced with this um, crossroad. Who am I going to be? Am I going to be a divine soul? Is that who I'm going to express? Which part of myself am I going to express? Am I going to express my animal soul? And that impacts also how I'm going to behave, but it's also how I think, how I feel, what my mindset is, what my worldview is. This is really the struggle that we face on a daily basis. A tzaddik, as we'll discuss later in chapter 10, has totally mastered this struggle. His worldview is the divine soul. He doesn't have that animal soul to struggle with. A total Russia, a complete Russia, there's different levels, is very similar to the tzaddik, has mastered his animal soul, and that's his worldview. The divine soul is not so relevant to him. Um, and then you have the middle people. You know, behaviorally, we're pretty much in check, but emotionally, we're not totally there. Our animal soul still gets to us, and, and pretty often. Now, our question last week was, how do you know if our behavior is animal soul activity or if our drive is animal soul or if it's divine soul? What is the deciding factor? The deciding factor we said, there was one key word we said last week, a new key word we learned. We learned the word bitzel. Remember the word bitzel? Surrender. Right, to surrender. Um, the example we gave, we said bitzel doesn't mean though that I surrender my personality and lose my personality, but it means I become part of a bigger personality, just like in the laws of kashrut. A drop of milk. Rabbi Josh, can you repeat what that word is? You're really scratchy. Yeah, sorry. Sorry for the, the, the scratchiness. Uh, the word is bitzel. Bitzel. Bitzel with a, with a T. I'm going to write it here on the chat, actually, so you'll see it. B-I-T-E-L. B-I-T-E-L. E-I-T-E-L. There you go. You should see it on the screen. Okay. So the word bitzel means, it literally means to nullify. We said last week that's very bad for marketing. If I told you there's a Tanya class that's going to nullify you, you wouldn't have come. Uh, <laughs> um, so the word nullify is the literal translation, but what it literally, what it means is to surrender ourselves to something bigger. So when it comes to the laws of kashrut, a drop of milk falls into a big chicken soup, right? Milk and meat are a big no-no in Judaism. But that chicken soup is still kosher because of the laws of bitzel, right? It loses its identity. And the halachic commentaries on the Talmud explain that it didn't just lose its identity. It actually became part of a bigger identity. That drop of milk became meat. Bitzel doesn't just mean to surrender our identity. It means to develop a deeper sense of identity. Because we're part of something bigger. We're part of God. If our behavior has bitzel, God can rest in it. If it's centered around God, God rests in it. And now it's divine soul. If it's self-centered, even if it's not evil, even if it's not bad, even if it's not prohibited per se, God's not going to rest there because it's not centered around Him, it's centered around our own selves. And God and arrogance just don't go hand in hand. Uh, make sense? 
Okay. I hope you guys could hear me well. I could hear you guys pretty well, but I'm sorry for... I'm going to have to invest in a mic. <laughs> a microphone. Let me see. Let me see if I could join through my phone. Give me a second. If I could join through my phone, it'll probably be more clear. Okay, give me give me a second. I'm gonna see. Okay. Go ahead. And are you doing a daily class on Facebook too? Um, more like a little daily talk. We'll yeah. see how long it lasts. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna use my phone for that because the the sound is much better. Okay, I'm sorry for the interruption. This is all a test and this is all new to me. You so. know, we have nowhere to go. I don't know about it. <laughs> I don't know, Judy. I'm going out dancing. I go to Whole Foods at, for the senior citizen hour. I'm going back to my laundry room when I'm done. That's as far as I'm going. I'm going to my sock drawer. Yeah. <laughs> what hours are the Whole uh, Foods for seniors? Um, uh, I'll tell you. Uh, Whole Foods normally opens at 9, but if you're over 60, you can get there at 8, and they'll open the doors for you. Safeway, on Tuesday and Thursdays, it's from 7 to 9, and Target, Wednesdays, I think it's the first hour. I can, I can send that. Can you guys hear me, by the way? Josh, no audio. Can you hear me or no? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, hold on. So, Judy, that Walmart, Judy, that picture from Walmart, did they have a lot of stuff? Do they still have it in the kosher set? The kosher I set? haven't been back, but, you know, Cheryl, I ordered everything. From, from Western Kosher, all my cheeses, my cold cuts, everything. I just... Yeah, I ordered from New York because I tried to do Western online before you sent me that email, and I couldn't do it. Oh, okay. stuff from New York. There we, go. I got in, we got it from Western Coaster, too. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things I forgot, so I'm sending Jamie to Oakland Coaster because he lives closer. I, am I so, and he's younger. No, uh, yet, not yet, uh, Josh. No? Can you hear me? Well, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I'm going to need some things, but Trader Joe's things and produce. But I, I have all my stuff for the week. I forgot, like, mayo and um, oil or something. You can just use regular, Fruma uses normal olive oil. And normal oil. You don't need kosher oil. What about mayo? Oh, we can't. You can make your own. You can make your own. Cheryl, you can make your own. Uh, that's what I thought. I have to look that up. Guys, yeah. Tell yeah. Me you hear me? Josh, you what? Rabbi Josh, are you there? Nope. Can you hear me? <laughs> he's, he's, try, he's trying to get on with his phone now. He's having a problem. We'll have our, we'll have our own class about Passover. Okay, there we go. Can you hear me now? No, you're still not being heard. Okay, hold on. We're, I'm sorry. We're just going to have to use this, and that's it. Okay. Better for next time. Um, anyway. So, we said, if it's centered around God, it will host him. If it's not centered around God, it won't host him. We, discuss, we tied this into the idea of klipa. Um, in case you can't hear me, I'm going to type it. Um, remember the term klipa, right? Um, hold on. Can you guys hear me? 
I can't hear you, but I don't know. I can't hear anybody. Oh, hold on. Okay, there we go. Now I can hear you. Okay, we're back. Okay, klipa means, literally means a shell. Um, basically, there is more to our reality than what we see. What we see is the outer shell, but there's a deeper sense of reality. And klipa and bitl are opposites. They're opposite, is that what you said? Exactly. In other words, a person who has bittle doesn't have thick skin, figuratively and uh, spiritually as well, right? A person is not klipa means you know I look at the orange peel and I say oh that's an orange when in reality it's just a peel. Re the reality of klipa distorts our vision, distorts our perception of reality. So we go by what we see, not by what is, right? We don't look at the soul of life, at the soul of people. We look at the body. We look at just what, what, what appears to the eye. That's a lack of bitzel, right? That's a, and, and that's due to klipa. At the end of chapter 6, we said there's two types of klipa. And this is what we're going to elaborate on in our chapter here. There is... Two types of klipa. There's the higher, there's a lower level of klipa, which we discussed last week, one which cannot be elevated. But then there's the middle level of klipa, a higher level of klipa, which can be elevated. An example. And actually, in our chapter, the Al Tzedeba gave two examples. Um, this is on page 95. On page 95, the Al Tzedeba gave two examples. Um, of how this klipa can be elevated, can be God-centered, um, um, can reach the level of bitzel. Doesn't mean it's going to on its own, but if we put in the effort, it will. One example he gave on, the page, on page 95 is eating. A person eats food. Is eating food a bad thing? Is eating food a good thing? Is eating food self-centered or is eating food God-centered? That's really our choice. Right? It's up to us. That's totally up to us. So that's the higher level of klipa. And if we eat it in a self-centered way, even if it's, it's kosher food, I'm not doing anything bad per se, but it's centered around me, not around God. So now... We could say a blessing Exactly, exactly. That adds to the bit, that adds to the bit, so that makes it more godly, that, that's a, a, a way to elevate it. But also, why we're eating it, our motivation behind eating it also elevates it. And I'll tell you a quick story. I don't know if I said this story last week or not. I may have. Barbara, you'll tell me. <laughs> but I, um, um, I, in every of my classes, I have to have a monitor to tell me if I'm repeating this or not. So you're my monitor. Um, the story is, there was Rabbi, there, there was Rabbi Shmuel. He was the fourth Rebbe of the Chabad leader, uh, Chabad dynasty. And his wife would, was very careful about not eating before davening. It says in, in the Code of Jewish Law in Shulchan Aruch, I, said, I did say this? Yes. Okay, I'm going to repeat yes. it really quickly. <laughs> Okay, it's a good one. She, I haven't heard it. Okay, so she was... It says in Shulchan Aruch that a person's not supposed to eat before prayer, before davening. 
because you're tending to your own needs before communing with God, it's considered to be arrogant. So she was very strict about this uh, ruling. She was very strict. She would always make sure to daven early in the morning, pray early in the morning, then she would go eat. Um, she fell ill. She got sick. The doctor told her that she has to be eating early in the morning. So what she would do was wake up even earlier to daven, and then she would eat at the time that the doctor told her to eat. And her father-in-law, who was the current uh, Hasidic Rebbe at the time, later, saw what she was doing and said, no, you need to be eating before davening. Because it's better that you, da you eat in order that you can daven, to enable your davening, rather than just daven so you could go eat. And that's a life lesson. It's why am I eating? Is it so I can daven? Is it to give me the energy to, to serve God? Or am I just getting my service to God out of the way so I can go eat? The former makes the food very holy. It actually elevates the food. Now, on the contrary, if I just like food, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. The food is kosher. And I'm going to say a blessing and, I'm gonna, and it's all good. I'm not doing anything bad. But I am degrading it to a level of klipa. Make sense? Yes. Um, now, food is just um, an example. But there's many examples I'm sure we could come with. Another example that the Alter Rebbe gave, that, that, that the author of the Tanya gives, is humor. Humor is an incredible tool. It's a beautiful tool. And if it motivates our relationship with God, because joy and God and, and service to God really need to come hand in hand, then that humor becomes a holy thing. Whereas if the joy is foul humor or, or it's, you know, it creates us a, a, an environment of frivolity or frivolity, whatever the word is, it's, it's not as a, it, it actually degrades it. That's an example of speech. And he gives an example, he says in the Talmud, it says that the great Talmudic sage Rava, this is on the page, the bottom of page 95, the great Talmudic sage Rava would always uh, make sure to open his Talmudic lecture with a humorous remark. This is why rabbis always start their sermons with jokes. This is where it comes from. He would start his Talmudic lecture with a humorous remark um, in order to open people up so they can, they're more receptive to what he has to say. So now his humorous remark became something holy. Right? So that's why all Chabad rabbis have funny stories. Exactly. They always have funny stories and corny jokes. This is where it comes from. This is the source. <laughs> okay. Well, keep us laughing. We need it. <laughs> exactly. Now, on the contrary, were I to eat that meat for the wrong intentions, and it's kosher, and according to Jewish law, I'm doing nothing wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. But the question is, am I doing something right? If I'm just eating it out of, out of, um, out of appetite. It's centered around me, not my relationship with God. It's not a, it, it becomes a klipa thing, not a bittal thing. It doesn't become a holy thing. So the question is, is this something... So now what happens? It actually temporarily um, 
becomes bound into this klipa. We're actually putting a spiritual husk around it, making it less sensitive and less aware of God, making ourselves less sensitive and aware of God. There is a concept called in, in Hebrew. How do we say permitted? We say mutar. And how do we say forbidden? We say asur. I'll write them down here so they're in case I'm not audible. Give me a second. My typing is. Sorry, one second. This is incredible. <laughs> okay. Asur means forbidden. Those are not the literal translations. I tell you guys all the time, and I'm going to say it again, never rely 100% on English translations. The, the literal translation of mutar is... And excuse my spelling. No, I got my spelling right. Okay. Is released. The literal translation of asur is... Bound slash tied. Those are the literal translations. Uh, sorry, sorry, Asur, my mistake. Okay. So, something which is permitted. You buy kosher meat from Trader Joe's, you cook it on your kosher grill, and you eat it. If it's for the right intentions, you've elevated it. If it's for the wrong intentions, you've temporarily degraded it. But you can always re-elevate it. You can always, you know, you go back and you start to serve God with that energy. Now, okay, you, you schlepped it back out of the clipper. It's not stuck there permanently. But something which is forbidden, if you were to take pork or non-kosher meat and eat it, even if it had the holiest intentions, it wouldn't work. It's totally a sewer. It's totally bound. What about if you're, if you're eating the pork to save your life because there's no other food? So, yeah, so if you're stuck on an island and the only thing is pork, so now it becomes permitted. It becomes released. It becomes mutar, released. It's released from that klipa bound. But if it's not a life-saving agent, because God doesn't want it, it becomes enmeshed in klipa. It's covered by this husk, and it's bound by this husk uh, permanently. Um, I see Zach is with us. Hey, Zach. He is? I think so. It says Zach is there, but there's no picture of Zach. There's no picture. Hold on, let's see if we can... Okay, anyways. Um... He'll be there for next week. He might hear us, though. I don't know if we could hear him. Okay, um, there, he is. there you go. Hey, Zach. Hey, Zach. Welcome. Okay. Yeah, you, you got to turn your microphone on on the corner, bottom, bottom left. Okay. Um, 
So when a person, so, so uh, there's actually a big paradigm shift here um, in, in that Hasidic teachings that Tanya is really giving us. Before you learn Tanya, we have BT and we have AT, right? Before Tanya, after Tanya. Before Tanya, the reason why I can't eat non-kosher or the reason why I should eat kosher is because I'm earning it's points with God, right? Brownie points. And if I don't care about my brownie points, then I'm totally fine. I'll eat the non-kosher. Who cares? I don't care. But what Tanya is saying is that it's not just points with God. That's not the point. Hey, Michal. The point is that it actually becomes part... What A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, right? Yep. We're all too familiar with our Jewish holidays. A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. When we eat kosher food or when we eat non-kosher food, any type of food, it becomes part of who we are. Now, if it's kosher food, back on our screen here, it's mutar. It's released. And it theoretically can, can be elevated. Whereas something which is not kosher, asur, it's bound, cannot be elevated. So now here is the question. Somebody came and ate non-kosher food. Now what happens? They're stuck forever because they're, they're bound? What happens? When does it, does it ever get released? So, so what do we do? How do we elevate something which is totally bound? If it's totally permanently tied, stuck in this klipa, what do we do? So by the way, just to, to, to clarify, just to reiterate, the only real way to elevate this klipa that can't be elevated, that's totally bound, we lost Michal, oh, well, I'm sorry, um, is the only way to do this is to avoid it. It's just to stay away. Whereas the only way, whereas when it comes to permitted things, we can actually go out of our way to elevate it. So when you enjoy a nice kosher Shabbat lunch with your family or Shabbat dinner with your family, it's, it, it becomes a holy experience. It's not just eating. It becomes holy. You've elevated it. But you wouldn't be able to do that with non-kosher food. So how do we elevate non-kosher food? Two ways. Number one, avoid it. But what if I didn't avoid it? I ate it already. It's part of me. It's bound, and now I have this klipa, part of my blood. What do I do? The Al-Tarebbe says two things. There's two times where it's going to be elevated. Two situations. And this is on page 97. Um, is it 97? No. It is... Sorry, it's the bottom of... of yeah, 97. Sorry, my, my, I'm all confused. Um, one way to elevate it is when Mashiach comes. When the coming of Mashiach comes, Mashiach is not just a person who's going to be, it's not just a savior and a redeemer, but it's actually an, a time era where the world will be in a pure state, in a refined state, and God's going to purify the world, and part of the world that he's going to purify is our own selves. So let's take a look at what he says. 
Um, this temporary, so the, uh, the, the bottom of page 97. Um, would somebody like to read? Because my vo I know I'm a little fuzzy here. Okay, I'll read. Okay, go for it, please. Section this two. Temporary this temporary absorption into negative forces is not the case. However, with forbidden foods and forbidden sexual relations, whose energy is from three completely impure colicos, um, their energy remains permanently tied and bound by the negative forces and will not ascend from there. Okay, thank you. Now, just if you could jump down to the bold paragraph, the next bold paragraph, please. Until their day comes and death will be swallowed up forever, as the, as the verse states, I will remo remove the spirit of impurity from the earth. Okay, thank you, Barbara. So as the prophets Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Zechariah, Zechariah, all clarify that when the coming, when Mashiach comes, the world is going to be in a purified state, and even things that are totally asur, totally bound, totally released, sorry, total, totally tied, are going to be released when that, when, when that day comes. And that's why, by the way, and as explains in the Talmud, that when Mashiach comes, um, pork will become kosher, non-kosher delicacies become kosher. Things that are bound spiritually in the klippa will be released. Make sense? Question. Yeah. Um, what about people that really don't care about this? You know, obviously some of us on this call care about keeping kosher, care about this. But what about like other family members, other friends that don't care about keeping kosher? So, or maybe people that don't know about keeping kosher. What about them? So, so good question. So there's two parts to your question. In terms of the impact that it has on them, you know, it's like, what if somebody doesn't care about their weight and they go to McDonald's every day? Okay. They didn't know. It's not their fault, but it's still going to, you know, it's still going to be noticeable that they're going to McDonald's every day. <laughs> you know, the, the, the pounds, you know, the fries and the pounds, it, it has an impact, just like our physical health. It just, it is just, this is just the reality. Now, in terms of accountability, they don't know. They didn't grow up with it. They weren't educated. They weren't given the opportunity. You're right, 100%. And it's, no, it's nobody's job to, it's not our job to judge. So it's not. Our job is to give opportunity and to educate. Um, so in terms of accountability, you're right. Somebody doesn't know. It's not their fault. But in terms of the impact, the impact is still very much present. Does that make sense? So yeah. it... What? It's it's just like some it's just like a physical diet. Somebody doesn't know that you're supposed to, um, you know, you, there's a certain amount of you know carb intake and protein intake and how much oils and how much saturated fats a person's supposed to have. If they don't know, they we're not gonna hold. Nobody holds that God won't hold them accountable if they don't know. What about those that do know but don't care? That was my next question, Judy. Yeah, so, no, so there, there's two things. There's accountability and there's the impact that it has on, on a person. The impact that it has on a person, the impact is just, you know, it's just the reality of life. You, you know, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, and it impacts a person. In terms of accountability, so then does the person know, 
Are they just neglecting? Do they not care? And that's not so much what we're dealing with in, in, in our topic. Does it make sense? Yeah, maybe yeah. that's a subject for another time. But yeah, it, it is another subject. It's an important subject. But it's, it, it, in other words, who's considered accountable? <laughs> so that, that's, that's a separate issue. Right, and I have another question about this chapter. Mm -hmm. um, it refers to kosher acts. Like, is there a list of kosher acts? Like, we know eating kosher is one thing, but are there other things that are kosher acts that we, like, that there's a list of? Like, is it just referring to food and sex, or is there other stuff, too? Um, it's pretty much anything. Um, the, the, the Code of Jewish Law, which, which maybe should be a whole separate class, um, goes through explaining what the Torah and what God's um, ideal behavior is. So like these kosher acts would, would refer to like the mitzvot and commandments, things like that. Exactly, that. exactly. Judy's got it. Right here. Judy's got it. Um, food. These books. I'll send you a copy of Kitsor. This is uh, all the... The Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything you need to know. Food is a big part of it. Um, as Jews, food is a big part of our life. <laughs> so those are the examples we're giving. But the example isn't limited to food. It's, it's limited to any behavior. Is it basically, is it God-centered or is it self-centered? And good, look, and look at it this way. If it's self-centered, it doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. But we're looking at the spiritual dynamic, the inner dynamic. And in terms of the inner dynamic, this is the impact that this behavior has on us. Now, there's another way to elevate it. There's another way to elevate negativity. And that's the concept of teshuvah. Teshuvah, I don't know if you guys can hear or not, but I'm, so I'm just going to write it. Teshuvah equals return. I don't like the translation repentance. It's not a good... The little, little translation means to be turned. A person can always return. A person can always come back, which means no matter how thick the bindings are, we can always break free, no matter what. Now, there's different levels of Teshuvah. And if you look in the third section of Tanya, this is the first section of Tanya, this whole book. But the third section of Tanya discusses all about Teshuvah. There's different levels of Teshuvah. The highest level of Teshuvah is that from love. When I'm motivated to, to return to God, not out of fear, and not out of I'm going to be punished, and what's he going to do to me, and the lightning bolt, and I'm going to go to hell. No, real Teshuvah means out of love. And that level of Teshuvah can actually, as it says in the Talmud, takes that sin and transforms it into merits. It literally transforms sin into merit because what happens is we could hit a point where we hit rock bottom. I've done so much in my life and it's like I, I have to turn around. What motivated me to turn around? My sins. When sin motivates return, that sin is part of the return journey. That sin becomes holy. And that's why it says in the Talmud that the place where a Baal Teshuvah a returnee stands, he stands on a higher plane than a tzaddik. Right? A person who does teshuvah, 
is on a higher, I don't know if you guys can hear me or not, so I'm writing it level than a tzaddik for that reason. Because the tzaddik has to avoid negativity. Somebody who did teshuvah came in contact with that negativity and was able to actually elevate it. He did something that a tzaddik cannot. The greatest that we, and, and we, as, we can, a person who does teshuvah can do something that the greatest of Jewish sages that Moses couldn't do. Moses can't elevate non-kosher food. If somebody ate non-kosher food, in hindsight, now they could do teshuvah and elevate it. They could do something Moses can't. They can reach a higher level than Moses, which is an incredible thing. I'll tell you a story. Um, this was about four, probably four years ago. About four years ago, I was in the mikvah in Crown Heights. And as it's known traditionally, you want to hear all the good gossip and all the good stories, you go to the mikvah because that's where all the conversation, it's like, it, it's like the, it's like the shvitz. It's the Jewish shvitz. Everybody's talking. <laughs> and I'm in the men's mikvah. And what they say is what happens in the mikvah stays in the mikvah, right? But <laughs> there's this el there's this rabbi, um, probably in his sixties, big gray beard. His arm is covered in tattoos. He's been around the block, um, and it's it's unusual to see that on a rabbi, because tattoos are biblically prohibited. And. But he's been around the block. He had his own spiritual journey, um, and he, he, you know, he found his he found his way, if you if you will. And he said he was out on the street talking with another Jew, who was not involved in his Jewish practices. And he says to his fellow Jew, he's dressed, in, you know, a black suit and his hat, his beard. He says, "Would you like to put on tefillin today?" He says, "Rabbi, I'll be honest with you." I have tattoos. I'm uncomfortable wearing tefillin. I feel hypocritical because the Torah says not to put on tefillin and I'm putting on tefillin that has parchments from the Torah. Now, it's not actually hypocritical and a person should never stop himself from doing a mitzvah. A sin doesn't have, right? Just because I did something I shouldn't have, that doesn't have to stop me and it's never over. So, and this is what the rabbi communicated. He says, no, 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 you're a Jew. You have a soul. Let's put on, you have a Jewish soul. Let's put on the tefillin. He says, Rabbi, I'm uncomfortable. So he says, I'll make you a deal. If my tattoos are larger than yours, will you put on the tefillin? If my tattoos are larger than yours, will you put on the tefillin? The guy starts laughing. The rabbi says, no, I'm serious. He starts laughing. He says, sure. Rabbi rolls up his sleeve. The guy says, pull out the tefillin. We're putting it on. <laughs> Now, the reason why this is so incredible is because, let's say you fast forward many years ago before he got his tattoos. He would never be able to say, I'm getting a tattoo so I can, put, so I can entice people to put on tefillin. It doesn't work. The tattoo, like we said on the side of our screen, is asur. It's bound. It's, right? So to say, I'm getting a tattoo because it's going to help people bring, closer to, bring people closer to the Judaism, it doesn't work because it's bound. But once he already had the tattoo, so now through Teshuvah, he elevated something which a tzaddik cannot. Moses can't say, I'm getting a tattoo to elevate it. But once the tattoo's already there, 
Now you can elevate it. Now you can do teshuva, you can reroute it. Does it make sense? So Robin Hood is, is the ultimate uh, teshuva, stealing from the poor to get a now that's a political discussion. Socialism, capitalism, communism. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now, another. So, so just to clarify, something which is permitted can be holy if we intentionally make it holy. It can be degraded if we're not intentional. Something which is forbidden cannot be elevated. Other than hindsight, in hindsight, we can elevate it through this high level of teshuvah, through love, or when Mashiach comes. I'll tell you an amazing insight. I found this incredible. If we look in the Amidah, the daily Amidah, one of the earlier blessings, we say, Slachlanu avinu, forgive us our father, ki because we have sinned. Right? Forgive us our father because we have sinned. This is in the Amidah on page something. I don't know. I don't have it offhand, but... But here's the interesting insight. Forgive us, or actually I could, I'll see if I could share it with you. Hold on. Okay. I don't know if you guys can see my screen. Can you see my screen? There we go. So, on the bottom of the screen, it's Amidah, blue, blue Siddur, page 47, the blue Chabad Siddur, we say, Slachlanu avinu, forgive us, Father, ki because we have sinned. Which is a really funny statement if you think about it. Forgive us because we have sinned. That's not a reason to forgive us. <laughs> That's a reason to be mad at us. Forgi forgive us even though we sinned. That's what we should have said. Or forgive us in spite of our sin. Why are we saying... Forgive us because we sinned. Right? Um, how do I get back to my screen here? Hold on. It's just like forgiving you because you've sinned. I've sinned, therefore forgive me. But if you think about it, sinning is not a reason to be forgiven. That's a reason to be sorry. I'm sorry because I sinned. Well, once you, as Murray just said, once, once you've acknowledged that you've done this, now you're saying, okay, I've done this bad thing. Now forgive me for it. So, so okay, good. So on, the, on a literal level, it's now that I've done this, forgive me. But there's a deeper explanation. There's a, there's a, there, there, the, the Hasidic twist on this is that this high level of forgiveness that we can attain, um, there's the 13 attributes of mercy, which we recite on the Yom Kippur, a very high level. That's referred to as the level of slicha, the level of forgiveness. This high level that only a Baal Teshuvah can reach, a tzaddik can't reach it. It's only a person who does Teshuvah can reach it. It can only happen through the sin, is motivated by sin. So we're saying, God, this sin is going to motivate this high level of forgiveness and it's going to become holy. God, even though I, my sin is a reason, is what's motivating my Teshuvah. Right? Somebody who's in the desert and is thirsty, so now they're, they're pining for water, but it's because they're dehydrated. Whereas the person who has water, you know, but they're not as passionate and they're not as thirsty. I'm so thirsty, I'm so interested because I've been so dry. My dryness, my, dirt, my, desert, my, my journey in the desert has motivated me 
to become more um, to become more passionate, to get more involved. Um, and now that takes my past and it elevates it. Murray, Murray has a question. He said, what if a person doesn't learn from their sins? And ask forgiveness. And, and doesn't ask forgiveness. And ask for forgiveness. And ask for forgiveness. But they haven't learned from their sins. Would they keep on doing the same sin over? So, I mean, what I guess what the sorry... When I was a kid, you know, you were always told, sorry... Sorry means I won't do it again. <laughs> um, but what we're saying here is this level of forgiveness is from is motivated by by passion. There's a certain level of passion. I want to come back. I want to come back to my heritage. I want to come back to my Jewish self. And what's motivating that were my negative choices. So now the negativity, I'm so sick of my negative choices, I want to come back, right? So now my negativity becomes holy. So if I can't initially engage in negativity to make it holy, I have to refrain from it. But now that I've already engaged in it, it could be part of my journey and it could become something holy. And that's why it says in the Talmud that this high level of teshuva can actually take sins and transform them into merits. Transform them into, into mitzvahs. That's all of its asur, if it's bound. So that's the only way to release it. We have to wait for Mashiach to come or we have to do teshuvah. We have to wait for God to purify us or we could purify us deep inside. Nothing can actually prevent us. Now, initially though, I can't go into that situation knowing that I'm, oh, I'll just, I'll just, I'll try to elevate. It doesn't work that way. This is all in hindsight. Make sense? Yes. Okay. Any questions, thoughts, comments, controversy? Mm, I'll go through my notes. <laughs> Can you send us that paper? Yeah. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. There's a lot more in the paper, which I didn't go through because it's, it's a lot harder on the screen, but I'll send it to you for sure. And maybe next week? Send it to us ahead of time so we can print it out and have it. Okay, that's a good idea. That's actually a good idea. I'll do that. Or, I mean, if we're not done with this chapter, none of us are going anywhere. Maybe we could schedule, you know, another class. I don't know, later today or to finish, get our second half hour. I don't know if everybody's up for that. or you. Got, I think we got a lot more than a half hour, too. Oh, okay. What time is it? It's almost 11, Jim. Okay, all right. Okay, well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 